You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between a fit body and positive mental health. And our big mission, it's to help 10,000 runners to develop fitter minds in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to this episode of the Fit Mind Fit Body Podcast. Today we talk to Susan Payne. Susan Payne is in her 60s and calling her a high achiever would be an understatement. She's got a few degrees, including two law degrees, and she runs a business that helps food security in Africa. But on top of that, she also represents the United Kingdom across a number of distant running events. So enjoy this podcast episode. Today on Fit Mind Fit Body, I am delighted to introduce to you a mutual friend of a friend, Susan Payne. Welcome to the podcast, Susan. Thank you very much. Looking forward to speaking to you. This has been um, a bit of an indulgence for me, actually, this, this podcast itself, because I'm able to meet lots of new people and get to know them in this format. It's been um, quite fun and a delight. So it, but I do know that if you haven't met me before, it's all, it can be quite uh, intimidating jumping on to have a chat. So I really do appreciate you jumping forward and agreeing to have this chat. I'm, I am excited about it. So Greetings from London, chilly London. Well, they, and the, that's the start. Where are you calling in from? You're in London. Yeah, just south of London and uh, went running today in the frost, well, actually snow. There's snow on the ground here and really hardcore. So it's... um. <laughs> It's the coldest winter that I have seen here for some time. It That's is because uh, speaking to somebody here in Australia, <laughs> although we do have snow in Australia, you may or may not be aware of, many, well, most of us, large percentage of the population don't live anywhere near the snow, like it's way at the top of the mountain. <laughs> and we certainly, very few of us actually have the delight of running in it or having to work out how to navigate our running through the snow, so... It kind of sounds like a fairyland to us, but I assume yeah. sometimes it's not quite so easy. <laughs> yeah, it's. A, I was. It was a, a race last weekend in uh, in a, a race, a ten k race on the Welsh English border, and on the way there, the snowfall was so heavy that they took the motorway down to one lane, from three lanes to one lane each direction, and cars were careening off. And I was driving to this start line, thinking, "Goodness me." Um, is this actually going to go ahead? And for some reason, there was a little microcosm where the racetrack was and uh, where we could race and it wasn't too slippery. But um, where you know, you have to decide what you're wearing. Are you going to wear a singlet? Are you going to freeze? Are you going to wear shorts? I mean, it's um, it's a challenge. And and I, I love running anything, but um, it uh, you have to be quite a happy all-weather runner at the, uh, right now, that is for sure. Wow. <laughs> um, that is, it is, yeah. It, it's just something we don't understand. <laughs> just like, well, probably like snow at Christmas time. <laughs> we also don't understand here. Um, your accent. Obviously, you don't. You didn't um, grow up or were not born in London. You might have been, but anyway, um, you you have an accent that does not sound British. So tell us mm-hmm. about your childhood. Where did you grow up, Susan? I was born in Vancouver. And I went to school in Vancouver until high school. And then for my last few years of school, my family moved to Rome in Italy. So I went to school in Italy and spent 
my last few schooling years there, and that was the city that my parents lived in uh, for the rest of their lives, actually. So for almost 35 more years, they were based there. And uh, I was then brought up in Europe. I went to universities in different countries, but England, Scotland, and Canada. Wow. And and studied at different institutions and was always doing, you know, was always doing sport. Was always I was always involved in sport wherever I was studying and really enjoy and have always really enjoyed running. So so when you were, say, um, you know, a teenager, what sort of sport did you do then? When I was a teenager, I when I was in my early years, I played, you know, any sport that I could, whether it was, you know, volleyball, tennis, basketball. And funnily enough, the one sport that I really didn't like is running. So when oh. I was young, I actually hated running. And um, I was not a natural runner. I was always pretty small. I was the shortest in my, I was the youngest in my year. I was the shortest in my class. Wow. Uh, so I wasn't really uh, competitive in um, in running, but I really enjoyed, I was quite a robust competitor. I liked competing. So I really enjoyed everything from skating to skiing to, you know, various other sports and skied a lot growing up. And um, then when I was in Italy, I played a lot of field hockey and really mm-hmm. enjoyed field hockey. I always played field hockey and I enjoyed that sport. But field hockey was was quite big at the time that I was in Italy, but still didn't run very often, just ran as part of my sporting team. And then when I went to university, I went up a few gears in terms of sport and I played ice hockey and rugby and I rode um, and I did a whole series of different sports, uh, sailing teams and other sports. But um, I only rode to support my other sports. So I wasn't thinking, goodness, I really have to run. But I, I ran and I really enjoyed running, but I wasn't on any athletics team. And I organized, uh, when I was at McGill in Montreal, I organized one of the first uh, run runs for charity, a 10K, uh, the Montreal 10K run for charity. I organized that in, you know, decades ago. And um, and that was, that sort of gave me the bug. I really enjoyed 10Ks and I really enjoyed uh, going out largely because I like, I like communing with nature. I, I really enjoy the freedom that it gives me to think and the me time that it gives me to depressurize and even in the worst periods of my life, I have always relied on running to give me that escape clause, that escape point where I can I can just free my mind. And generally it is running in a natural environment, like running across country trails, mm-hmm. um, anywhere where I can be near a beach or any place where I feel like there's an open landscape. I've really relied on that mentally for my mental health yeah, my entire life. Since I was young. Yeah. Uh, So when you were at university um, in Montreal? Yes. That was my first university. What were you studying? I studied English literature and I studied history and I um, rode a lot. I rode rode in the World Championships in 1984 or 5 in Canada. But I rode heavily. I rode hours and hours a day. I rode... Um, rowing was my big sport, but I but I did play other sports like rugby and ice hockey. Wow. But that was my that was my main sport, rowing, and that required a lot of running and a lot of lifting. I mean, being in gyms and um and being in uh being in concrete um rowing facilities because the weather in Montreal is obviously very well. It's it's it's, it's freezing all for about three or four months a year, so you have to be 
indoors to to row. And so there were the Montreal X Olympic indoor tanks, and we would train on those indoor tanks, and then we would go to Tennessee for water time. Yeah. And the team would go down to Tennessee and spend a week or 10 days just doing eight hours a day on the water, uh, rowing, rowing, rowing. Wow. My, my husband was an elite rower um, as well. So <laughs> I know a little bit about the dedication that I mean, he even took a year off uni so he could focus on his rowing and almost go to the Olympics. <laughs> but didn't yeah. go it, and, but... and, and that is always a dream, isn't it? I mean, the, the mm. dream is you're going to get to the Olympics. When I was rowing, I, I'm a lightweight. I was a lightweight and lightweights were 126 pounds and under. And so at that point, which shows you how antiquated this is, um, at that point, um, athletes that were lightweights could not go to the Olympics. They did not have oh, Olympic wow. rowing for lightweights at that time. No, my husband's not Anyway, yes. So you were you weren't able to. I didn't know that. I didn't know that they didn't. Yeah. They, oh. yeah. Two Olympics later, they introduced lightweight rowing at Olympics. <sighs> so that was that was so the, the the most that I could have hoped for was the World Championships. Wow. And and it and it took a huge amount of time and dedication, as you know well from your from your husband. Yeah. But at that point, running was again something that I did as an adjunct to my fitness training, mm-hmm. and the funding that was given to our team, um, some government funding was given to our team, came through pulling a certain level of ergometer, it came through excelling, mm-hmm. um, at a certain level in a in a province. And so it really mattered that we stayed as fit as possible. And it, you know, you think nothing at that time of biking. I then, I then uh, articled for a law firm in Toronto, and I uh, was going back and forth on my bicycle to rowing practice between the law firm and the rowing practice and where I lived and biking for hours a day. And you just wouldn't think about that. I mean, it was not a matter of gosh, I've got to bike 10k or I've got to bike 15k to get to the to to the to the river. You just did it. And I biked everywhere on my 10 speed at the time, <laughs> the old 10 speed. When my husband was rowing, uh, cycling was a big um, thing for them to stay fit as well. And as I said, uh, his commute was, um, you know, always with a bike too. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things, interestingly, I've interviewed him on the podcast and his episode is called The Reluctant Runner because running for them for, I don't know if it was the same um, for women, but for him, you know, back in the 80s, um, the the gentlemen, the blokes, the as we say in Australia, they um it was just always flat out. So there was no like slow running, you know, there wasn't any kind of tempoed thing. It was always, you know, as fast as we could racing each other to the top of the hill, stairs, any kind of torture the coach could do. But running was not a fun activity. <laughs> so yeah. even now yeah. he runs, but it's not, it's reluctant because <laughs> he has that memory of it. <laughs> did how was it for you so you said you did it in order to stay fit for the rowing do you remember you know did you look forward to it or to the running element yeah I, I didn't I I actually enjoyed running always in university um I didn't dislike it ever and part of that reason I think is because I was brought up in a household where my father ran every day that he could Mm-hmm. And he traveled extensively as part of his job. In fact, we were in uh, Rome because he worked for the United Nations there. Wow. And uh, he traveled all the time. And he always took his running shoes and he always would say, wherever I go, I run. So he could mm-hmm. run and stay fit when he traveled. And interestingly, I do think that role modeling matters in this way because That's I would amazing. watch him do this. 
And that's exactly what I do. I travel extensively. Mm-hmm. I um, I always take my running shoes with me. I run five days, minimum minimum five days, but usually six days a week. Wow. And I ran today, in fact, with my 22-year-old son, who also runs a lot oh, and sees that. me running and mm-hmm. eats like I do as well and runs like I do. I've got three children, but my eldest wow. runs with me regularly whenever he's back from university. So yeah. it does have... I do think that if you're in a household where there are runners involved, whether they are just fun runners, fit runners, competitive mm-hmm. runners, whatever runners, there is no question in my mind some kind of effect that it has uh, in any sport, I'm sure. I, I, I was just, I'm just, because I run yeah. and because I was exposed to running my whole life, I always looked at it as something that was an escape, something mm-hmm. that was an indulgence, something that mm-hmm. I enjoyed. So all through university, I enjoyed it, but I just didn't have the time. Yeah. And I didn't have the powerful inclination when I was trying to get to the top in other sports the other sports Mm. that I was doing were the ones where I was really competitive Mm -hmm. and I was never going to be the one that won the gold medal in the 3,000 meters or the 10,000 meters I was going to be competitive but I wouldn't have won whereas I wanted to win in my sports and it's only as I become older that I start to see that I can win in my sport wow so it sounds like you're oh, actually before we get to that the we talk a lot in the podcast about um kids especially with parents and that example that they're providing all that they were provided by their parents as well so it sounds like you know you've got all of that in, in that package which is amazing um and, and COVID, was, COVID was an interesting example of where that mm-hmm. shone through actually mm-hmm. because in COVID and I think COVID did many of us favors on many levels despite the horror of it there were some silver linings to COVID. And one of those for us was spending time as a family mm. and exercising daily together. <clears throat> and my my children would say this. I've got children that are between ages of 17 and 22. And they would say, if they were sitting here beside me, that I am an exercise freak. And <laughs> every day I insist on everyone going outside. And they're happy to do that anyway. But you know, the 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 youngsters would go, the younger ones would go on their bicycles, the older yeah. one would run, mm-hmm. I would run, my husband's always on a bike, uh, and my husband always bikes with me when I run anyway, he bikes wherever I go practically, he's wow. a avid biker, and he cross-countries where, you know, he cross-country trails, and if I'm running a trail, he'll, he'll tear off and do another trail and meet me at the end, this kind of thing, but awesome. we did a lot of exercise together as a family, and that was really good i thought that was a really big positive to mm. set aside that time and spend it together exercising mm. I, and we've also talked on the podcast relating to this is even if your child doesn't seem to take that with them into that early adulthood it's still a part of their toolbox because in their genetics you know how we even think at some subconscious level we're made up of our parents and if our parents um exercise fanatics or whatever you want to call it um then we know that there is something in our genetics subconsciously that means we can tap into it should we need to in the future as a sort of toolbox and I often think even if your child doesn't look like they're going to take after you and and hit the roads running or whatever it is um you're still doing them a favor because you you know you're showing that that there is a way here for them should they need it in the future Um, I mean every family has its own culture Mm. And that is really prevalent in not only the way that families exercise, but the way that they eat, mm. the way that they live, uh, how they enjoy their holidays. 
I mean, there is such a strong cultural bent to each household. It's like mm. going into different companies where every company is just so different. Yeah. And and even growing up, when I was growing up, I used to go into some friends' houses and they didn't they didn't smell right. They didn't feel right. Yeah. Or they felt fantastically enveloping yeah. and very warming. And these these household feels, the aura of a household, the culture of a family, I think is really quite pervasive and is mm. the tone is set in the parents and how mm. they run that household. So mm. we are um, I mean, all families have, you know, ups and downs and warts and all sorts of things, but as much as one can, as much as we can, we we sit down every night at dinner, we mm-hmm. exercise as much as possible. My children know how I feel about careful eating. I've been mm-hmm. a vegetarian since I was about 12 or 13 years old. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I have been, I mean, way before it was um cool. <laughs> I I was um I I was vegetarian and I and I I now am a very big proponent of uh plant protein and eating yeah. plant protein and in fact um in the even in my job now which is growing food across Africa um we have a plant protein business that wow. we are now developing in Mozambique where we are growing plant protein that's and amazing growing it for isolate to make powder the kind yeah. of powder that I drink every day in my mm-hmm. protein shakes. So wow. as you get older, you start to say, what can I do to make my body stronger? Yes. And for me, it's all, and for me as a female, it's about how I can be physically robust with the strongest bones possible. Yeah. And bones for me are totally um, undervalued. I mean, yeah. our bones, we get older, our structures are our so foundation. Mm. So how you, how you buttress those foundations. And for me, that's mm. about running. Hmm. I love that. Um, yeah, I love that. You know, especially the the current knowledge on running, which, and I say current because everything changes all the time. This body that we've had with us um, forever, um, we're still learning, yeah. <laughs> still doing, and coming up with new. You know, this is this is what our body needs. Um, yeah, the idea that doing an impact sport um, like running is good for our bones because it keeps uh, keeps them strong. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I tell you, I think I think it's interesting to see how um, it's almost luck of the draw when you're growing up, what you're exposed to. When I was growing up, because I've got red hair, yeah. my family, my parents sat me down when I was five, and I remember the conversation, and they said, for the rest of your life, you're going to wear t-shirts, hats, and sunblock for the rest oh. of your life. So just so that you know, that was clever. That's what's going to happen in your life. So when all yeah. the kids are running around with like bikinis, you've got a t-shirt on. Yeah. And I wore a T-shirt my whole life. I didn't get exposed to the sun very much. That is, I did, but I was always covered. Yeah. And I'm so grateful. That was a complete fluke. Yeah. But I'm grateful that they had that happen. Because in those days, kids were lying out with coconut oil all over their bodies. Of and course. now are suffering as a result of it. So yeah. it, it's interesting how these things come out. And it is just lucky whether or not, you know, did you smoke? Or I never smoked, but if you smoked when you were a teenager and you smoked for 15 years, mm-hmm. you realize now how dangerous and foolish that that yeah. was. But it was lucky that I didn't want to smoke. You know, many of these things yeah. you do when you're young, I think, have an impact as you get older. And, and you don't you realize what they are, do you, at the time? It's it's yeah. that later and on reflection. That yeah, you, absolutely. And, it, yeah, you know, like you, like you said with the parents, my mother told me that Coca-Cola, what it did to a coin and what it would do to your insides, and I will not drink Coca-Cola. 
Um, and there was something I was only talking about this the other day, and there was something else she told me when I was young. Uh, oh, actually, it might have been that um, I you can do anything you want. And so it's now my brain is like my brain has ever since then been, I can, there's nothing I can't do if I really want to do it. Um, but then the problem is, well, then there's too many things that I want to do. <laughs> Which I no, you're right. quite funny. No, no, you're right. There are too many things. And that's why you've got, I mean, Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates had lunch together. And, and this is in, this is in the documentary about Warren Buffett. And Bill Gates' father asked them both, he'd asked, he'd arranged the lunch. And Bill Gates' father, who arranged this lunch, asked them both to put on a, on a post-it at this lunch what their key to success were, was in one word. And they both at the same time gave him a piece of paper and both pieces of paper said, focus. Wow. I love and, that. And so you look at how you succeed and whatever that means, what yeah. is success, but when you feel good about what you're doing, when you feel good about yourself, why? And it rarely happens without focus. You have got yeah. to focus yeah. on where mm-hmm. you want to mm-hmm. put your energy. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to your rowing at uh, university. It seems like you seem to me a very driven person. You, you, whether you do you think you're goal focused or was it the competition or a bit of both? Like, what drove you to not only because it, it's one thing to go for many people going to university is enough <laughs> to do in that little bit of their life. Um, but then to also be doing, you know, effectively an elite sport and to keep up the training and things for that takes another whole lot of things going on in, in your mind. So why? what do you think pushed you to keep doing that in yourself? What do, what's going on internally? Um, I, I come from a family of high age. I'm the youngest first, which I think is mm-hmm. important. I'm the youngest of four, and mm-hmm. all of my siblings are high achievers. So mm-hmm. that's the, I mean, without trying, they just have done well in their lives yeah at what they've chosen to do so that was my role model that i was seeing these role models that happen to achieve mm-hmm. great things and yeah. and that that inevitably has an impact i believe mm. i also really enjoy competition even yeah. now when i'm in a starting box my husband laughs because he'll take a picture of me and i am so excited like i'm laughing i'm smiling <laughs> i am so excited about being in a starting box it's like Christmas in a starting box. I love competing. That's and amazing. And I really enjoy the energy around competing. And and the reason I like it so much, I think, is because I've said to myself, I'm I'm I really want to compete and I really want to win, mm-hmm. but I want to enjoy it. So yeah. um, I will press myself and I'll push this as hard as I can. But if I don't come first, it's okay. It, yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not life or death. But if it works, then if all the stars align and my race is a good race, that's okay. Mm. I, but I really enjoy competing. So that it starts with that. You have to really, I think, enjoy competition. That's interesting because I can't even imagine how you fit all of the training and all of your study into a day. Can you remember back? I mean, I'm sure your life is just as hectic and busy now from time to time. But can you remember how you managed to juggle all of that when you were younger? Uh, it was a juggling act, and I remember mm. when I was at I was at Oxford, and uh, I was doing quite a few sports, and I was always in my tracksuit, and yeah. I was studying law, and my tutor in January, as we went into the final exams, said, um, "You, I was also the president of graduate students at my college," wow. and my tutor said, "Okay, you have to stop, 
you've got to resign from this presidency role and you've yeah. got to stop all of your sports because this is rolling into the final. And wow. I, I didn't do any of that. I, I didn't <laughs> resign from the presidency and I also didn't stop my sports. But I remember him feeling, I remember this very strong conversation where I was really unhappy after it. And I thought, goodness, I, that means giving up all the things I really enjoy while I cram. And I'm sure I'm going to try and make this time to cram too. So in, in an answer, I guess um, I've always tried to organize my life so that I can fit everything in. And it mm. just means that I might have socialized less or I might have slept less or uh, whatever. But I always had, I always managed to get things get things done. Mm. So I guess in your mind you've got a priority list and the priority was your study and your uh, your sport and I guess um, and in anything else like other people perhaps at university prioritized um, going to the pub and going, you know doing all those other sort of things which the extracurricular activities um, but that was maybe not as big a part role in your life. I, I always I, I have I, I really prefer a structured existence so I like having hmm. um, not on holiday obviously but at, at university, I would um, carve out Friday and Saturday nights to party. Okay. Um, I would study. I would take off a part of Sunday, or if not all of Sunday. Uh, if when I was at um, a couple of universities, I took off Saturdays. At Oxford, wow. I just took off Sunday. But you know, you take you, you know what your time off is, and then your other day, like your weekdays, Monday to Friday, are crammed. You are Very working mm -hmm. and doing your sports. Yeah. So. Um, it was structured, and I, as a human, I, I like living with lists. I, yeah. Even when I was small, even when I was 10, I would make lists. I was oh, always wow. organizing my life around lists so that I knew what I could fit in to my day. That's and, amazing. And even now, I, I don't have, one thing I don't have enough of is time. I always yeah. want more time. It's just, mm. you know, it, between a social life and children and sports for them and sports for me and other things that are going on with the job. Yeah. There's a lot of balancing, but I think that's fulfilling. I mean, I'm not complaining about any yeah. of that. It's the way that I choose to live my life. And that yeah. is a full life. And yeah. as long as I have a quality of life, that is a high quality of life, yeah. then I'm enjoying myself. But only when you are 50 and over, do you understand, I think the words, quality of life yeah. yeah you hear this term quality of life when you're younger and you say yeah 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 quality of life whatever <laughs> that is. and then when you get older you realize that quality of life is something that you are really lucky to enjoy you're yeah. lucky to have a fit body and a clear mind and a loving family or whatever you're grateful mm. for you really are happy that it gives you this quality to your life and you mm. realize that without a quality to your life it is purposeless, actually. So quality mm. of life becomes really uh, a mantra for me. I have to have this quality of life. And to, to make sure I have that, I want to stay fit to enjoy my life. Yeah. It's a bit of that kind of midlife thing. I'm not using the word crisis in there, but it's a bit like that midlife thing where we've lived, you know, effectively half of our lives because I'm living to over 100. Um, mm. and, yeah. and you kind of, well, I've only got half of my life left. I better make sure, you know. Yeah. And so I also have that kind of, it's, so there's a quality, but it's also, oh, there's all those things that I do want to achieve or tick off or whatever. Uh, and I've only got another 50 or so years to do that. So, <laughs> and the last 50 went pretty quick. 
But you it, also realize that you know we have we have one in the countries that we live in. We have won the ovarian lottery. You know, we have won the yeah. passports that yeah. everybody wants. And mm -hmm. I work in countries in Africa. Not so lucky. Years mm. Full of people that are really very unlucky. Mm. And it makes me grateful every day of my life, honestly. Mm. And it makes me safeguard what I have. I, I mm. It makes me very dedicated to ensure that I don't squander my health. And yeah. that I don't squander my lifestyle. And I, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't ignore uh, warning signs or things that are important as signals that require attention along mm. the way. And mm. and I just, you know, I, I'm I'm serious here when I say as you get older and, and friends get sick and some friends die and, and mm -hmm. cancer and other other basically diseases start to impact your your group um of colleagues and friends, you realize that it is often just sheer luck mm. uh, to be able to get older gracefully. And so it's you know how best to safeguard that really. Mm, yeah, I love that. It's um so those of you who are who are much younger than 50 listening to the podcast, take note for these wise people that we're sharing this information with you. <laughs> um okay, can we go back a little bit to university years? So it sounds like you've spent quite a bit of time studying. Tell me what what did you end up studying? You've been and you talked about law as well, um, and uh, in literature and all sorts of stuff. So what kind of degrees yeah, well, do you have, Susan? <laughs> yeah, I have um, two law degrees, um, one from Oxford and one from McGill. Wow. Um, I also studied at St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, I have uh, a degree in English and, and uh, minor in history. Um, I've studied at LSE. I did a, a short course MBA during COVID, uh, an MBA diploma, that is. Um, but I have I have three degrees, two wow. law and one, and one BA. Um, and and I really enjoy studying. In fact, I would like to do a PhD now, but I just mm. don't have the time. And I was speaking to my husband about three days ago about the PhD that I want to study and where yeah. I want to study it and what I want to do. But it is really hard to fit that in. But I really enjoy studying and I've always enjoyed <clears> studying. And so when I finished, I um, I joined JP Morgan and I knew that law was not going to be something that I wanted to do long term, but it was a really good mm -hmm. grounding for me. And uh, I was called to the bar and after I was called to the bar, I articled and I was articled, then I was called to the bar, and then I and then I joined JP Morgan and um was very lucky to uh be part of the first emerging markets business there that was not called emerging markets, it was called something else, uh less developed loans and loan trading unit. Mm -hmm. Um I spent several years there and that business grew to be very substantial and very successful and then went on to other institutions and mm -hmm. uh, other institutions in finance, <clears throat> and I did that for some time. Um, and then ended up deciding that I wanted to focus on food security in Africa. And so 12 years ago, I decided that Africa was going to be my focus continent for a whole number of reasons, uh, not least because it is the final frontier for development. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I work now. And I, I grow food at scale, and I'm about to launch a fund to support uh, women entrepreneurs across Africa, uh, SMEs, uh, uh, so I'm interested in SMEs, um, small and medium-sized enterprises, enterprises across yeah. Africa that require funding of between one and eight million dollars. <clears throat> so wow. we've got a fund, a, a, we're launching a fund called the Glide Fund. Uh, mm -hmm. Glide, it's a female-focused fund, and it's called Glide because that's a gender lens investing and disadvantaged entrepreneurs fund. Wow! And so, <laughs> I'm glad you were able to make that into a word. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that so that is that is launching in the first part of next year. So we're just raising money for that now, and and continue to grow food on substantial projects. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I do this, I end up you know I end up when I'm in Africa, I run every day. So I, I do the same exercise program there, but just shorter, like up to no more than five miles a day because it's too hot. <laughs> so this is an initiative um, that you've set up, or are you doing yeah. this with a bigger? So it's an initiative that you. Have set yes. up and and are running yeah. and basically full time. That's your yes. full time full time job. It's, yeah, the, the, the company is called Holistic Holistic Investments. Yeah, Holistic Investments in um in it's a Mauritian based uh, permanent capital vehicle, and we uh, have projects that we co own and operate in Zambia, Mozambique, Zambia and Mozambique, mm-hmm. and and also South Africa. So Amazing. we um and these are large commercial farms that grow you know, 1,000 tons of wheat or, you know, 150 hectares of cotton or bananas, uh, beans, vegetables. You know, we grow all sorts of different food stuff. And, and keep them local. We sell to Africa. So how often are you in Africa? I go, uh, before COVID, I went um, every every second week. Mm-hmm. Every week. And oh. now I go once a quarter for about two or three weeks. And, um, and that's enough. I mean, once a quarter is enough for me now. When mm. we launch the fund um, in the beginning of next year, I think I'll probably end up spending more time in South Africa where the fund is based and um, and traveling to see some of the investee companies mm. across the continent in countries like Egypt and Botswana and Morocco, etc. So if, uh, if people are interested in, in looking at what you're doing, is there a link that I'll be able to send them to? Yes, actually, absolutely. Um, our, our, our our company is www.holistic-investments.co.uk. Mm-hmm. And um, we also have all of our projects are, are listed on that site. We have, Our plant protein business is called Sustainable Planet. Mm-hmm. And that is also on its own website, Sustainable Planet. And uh, Glide Fund has its own website, Glide Fund Excellent. Africa. Uh, it's yeah. actually, it's, um, it's also got its, its own site. Yeah. So, and they're all linked from the Holistic Investment. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will put a link to that in the show notes because I think the people will be very interested in, in what you're doing there. It sounds quite um, inspirational that, you know, that a lot of us sit around and think, um, you know, this isn't working properly in the world or that's not working, whatever our interest is, um, but we don't do anything about it. So <laughs> it's kind of refreshing to hear somebody who's doing stuff about it. Yes, it's um. I don't think that everybody wants my job. Let's put it that way. Mm. It, there's mm-hmm. a lot of heavy lifting involved mm-hmm. and a lot of navigating through. Uh, it, there's a lot of problem solving, I would say, mm. because we're always, you know, trying to find ways to do things more efficiently on the ground. And and funding is a problem constantly in Africa, mm. which I find is quite um, ironic, given the fact that Africa could support itself with its food production and wow. yet doesn't because there was so little funding for SMEs. Mm. So I have uh, been quite a strong proponent of supporting SMEs more actively, mm. and I simply do not see that support on the ground. Mm. So um, I would like to see much more funding for SMEs like ours because we could have a massive impact in the way that we grow food locally mm. and the way that we impact communities. Um, and what, what is happening instead is a series of very large companies that have monopoly and there is very little trickle down effect yeah. that goes to the smallholder farmers. So the SMEs like ourselves have large projects 
and we bring in communities around us by providing um, in input support. We buy their products. We can help them to uh, prepare their lands for uh, for cropping. We can fund them and give them irrigation um, piping, for example, which is what mm -hmm. we're doing now. In the yeah. But we are very involved in a series of different ways at a grassroots level that is otherwise absent if we're not there. Mm. And and that is being ignored. So what yeah. happens is that the smallholders are basically abandoned mm. if you don't have the SMEs there to support them. Yeah. And so that is that is actually a really unfortunate part of development across Africa. Uh, and I think that's got to stop. So I, I speak about this quite widely. And I believe that if this doesn't stop, then Africa will stay in this um in well not stay long because it's it's a dynamic economy with a massive demographic um mm. with 40 percent of the population is under 15 years old so i mean it, this is a very burgeoning uh continent with massively uh rich in resources but it will delay its development and it will mean that uh there is a real problem feeding this continent and there mm. should not be this problem feeding this yeah continent. it doesn't make so, sense Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, just one step at a time. Mm. This is why we launched this company. I've been doing this now for many years. And uh, one step at a time, we will continue to do what we yeah. do. That's amazing. I love it. I love it when people are following their passions, even though it's not an easy journey that you've chosen. Mm -hmm. so I think that's, um, <laughs> that's amazing. And, and another amazing example to provide your children as well. You know, not, not just taking the path. Um, yeah, the easy path, but taking the path less less trodden, path less trodden. Well, they they actually enjoy coming down to Africa with us, and and they end up. Um, I mean, COVID COVID caused a real problem here, but we take down a group of ten European students every summer to work um, in the communities around the farms, yeah. and mm. that has been really interesting because some of those children that are now growing up yeah. have um, have gone into careers that are entirely focused on on climate or on impact or on um uh you know uh, humanitarian aid yeah. uh, because of those trips and have have done degrees studying certain subjects because of those trips and that mm. has been very comforting to me i really mm. enjoyed watching the development of some of these kids i love that it's um i've got five children ranging oh. from 19 to 30 and wow. one thing that we talk about, especially for our younger three, we took them overseas traveling for 18 months in 2014 and 15. And we did a big trip and house that a lot in Europe and spent lots of time in Asia and parts yeah. of the world. And um, one of the things that I've noticed with these younger three, um, which is my husband thinks there's some negative aspects to this as well, uh, but the, the way the current uh, generation is, the, the younger people they are very opinionated. I don't know whether we're always, you know, the younger generations always were and it's just me as an older person <laughs> looking back, but they feel even more uh, engaged in in social type of conversation, you know, whether it's the environment or or people who are, you know, um, places like Africa that, that need um, more development or whatever. Um, they, they're more interested. They have opinions, whether it's the internet that gives them access to information I'm not sure, but they just seem to be um, more engaged, I suppose, in the conversation about, you know, the way the world is and how, you know, especially our generation have uh, not 
done so well, you know, in creating a good world in that, you know, they're going to be the generation that comes through to help sort it out. I think it's positive in my head. Mm. No, so do I. And I think, you know, if, um, if there's one thing that I would, that I have said to my children countless times, and I, and I say this um, regularly, even within our business, my father, who was a great mentor to me, said before he died, and he said this to me a few times, he said, do not let anyone take your voice away. Yeah. And and I think it's important that everybody has a voice. And what's happened with this generation that didn't happen with our generation, particularly strongly, mm-hmm. with it now, even very young children, I mean, meaning 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, they are engaged with a voice. They have a voice. If they're in a healthy family unit, they have a voice. Yeah. And they have quite a strong voice. And a good mm-hmm. school will give them a voice. And as long as as people are respectful, then they deserve to have themselves heard. As long mm. as they are doing this in a way that is acceptable and digestible and not violent and not, you know, with severe difficulty, mm. then I do think that everyone deserves to have their voice heard very much so. And and you're so right. This generation has a voice that mm. never was heard in this way before. It is yeah. such a strong voice now. So there's hope. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's diversity and there's inclusion and there's all these things that matter now that were not as critical as certainly as focused upon Mm. 20 years ago, even 20 years ago. Mm, I love that. All right. Can we go back just a little bit to your um, having children and your running? How did that how did that work together? Um, that was quite interesting. Um, I, uh, I, 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 I always kept, I mean, I kept running, um, and, and I was always, where running really turned around for me, where running became a serious focus for me, mm-hmm. when went from being a fun runner, doing some half marathons here, and a bit of that, and a bit of this, and I, I mean, I enjoyed it, I always did it, but it was a bit less um, dedicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, was when my second child died. Oh. And when my second child died, um, he, I thought, he was born prematurely, but he was he was doing really well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when when he died, he, um, this was a surprise, and he, he should not have died. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a shock to us. And so after his death, I contacted bliss which is a charity here for baby deaths mm-hmm. and that supports those after their babies have died and they had been fantastic with me and and with us actually yeah and so i decided that i would run the london marathon uh in honor of um my son yeah and that i would run it for bliss and that kicked off a whole series of runs and events that really, I think, rather transformed my life. I ended up running uh, and you know raising quite substantial amounts of money, and then was invited to Kensington Palace oh, to wow. have um, dinner with one of the royals uh, as part of the Bliss team, and it was quite a, a small and intimate dinner. It just kicked off a whole series of events in my life that that then had me running. Um, regularly, running mm-hmm. marathons regularly, and r- raising money for all sorts of different um, different uh, um, 
charities that impacted my life. Um, my mother was in a hospice and I then ran for uh, Macmillan cancer support. Um, a friend of mine died of pancreatic cancer and I ran for the pancreatic cancer research uh, UK. I mean, it, it just, it, I, I ran for help oh. for heroes after I had a dinner um, and was at the same table as Margaret Thatcher. I mean, it was it was a, it was a number of events happened that that then sort of impacted where I ran and how I ran, yeah. and um, and that was an interesting phase because I then realized I could run quite very happily, uh, very happily at distance um, yeah. beyond half marathons, and I was uh, very comfortable running uh, greater distances. And then I had my own children, um, more children that is. And uh, the long and short of it is balancing uh, all the things in my life became pretty heavy. So I didn't race at that point. Mm -hmm. Then recently, more recently, I started to pick up racing more and more. Mm -hmm. And when I, um, my, my children were starting to grow up past being very small and they were then playing rugby on the weekends and playing all their sports on Sundays. And so I got involved in their clubs very actively in their clubs doing different things and then um and especially in rugby because we're a fanatical rugby family all of us um my my husband uh played um at a national level and and i played oh, wow. and my kids played um, is he is he canadian or british or what is your husband zimbabwean oh there you go <laughs> of course why would he why would he be from one of the other two countries <laughs> So anyway, we ended up um, we ended up doing a lot of rugby, but but then I said, listen, about a few years ago, I said, look, at I, I, um, it, it came up. This racing started to happen in an interesting way. I raced, and I was, and I was, I always did fairly well in my races. And then during COVID, when we were running every day, I ran every day almost. I mean, I ran like five, six days a week during COVID. And um, my son said to me, you know, you 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 run fast. You know, you run fast. And I said, yeah, thanks. And they were on their bikes, and then they, and then my my little son, who's now seventeen, said, "No, you, you're pretty quick." So I said, "Yeah, okay." And then I and then I sat down in January a couple of years ago, and I I I, I remember the conversation beginning of the year, and I said, "Listen, um, I am going to make um, the British running team this year." Wow! And, so um, tell us how old you were at the time, Susan. <laughs> you had this conversation. Come on, that's. That's inspirational. I am in the 60 to 64 year old category. Wow. So I um, ended up saying that I wanted to race for England and for Great Britain. And they're used to me saying things that are pretty extreme. So they said, okay. There was no kind of laughter. They just said, okay, fine. <laughs> and then um, I set off on this journey with my son, who's now 22, uh, coming to a freezing cold race the first of the season a couple of years ago. I did a 10K in London with him and then just use that as my marker. And then I just literally did lots, did lots of homework, looked at the qualifying races, looked at how I was going to get on the team, looked at the times I had to make. Wow. And the long and short of it is that in the last couple of years, I have made the England team and I've raced for Great Britain. I've been to um, the World Championships in Tampere in Finland, where I came seventh in the half marathon. Wow. Written there, I um, won Manchester Marathon, a half marathon in my age category last at the end of last year. 
I won a bronze medal this year um, for England in Chester half marathon and uh, was part of the gold medal winning team for England in Wales. In That's June. amazing. Yeah, so the, 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 there have been some other things that have happened in the last couple of years, but there have been some interesting races that I, I've run and uh, and I've really enjoyed it. And I've really enjoyed yeah. the racing. And I race against unbelievably talented women. I mean, mm. they are, there are a few women that I, I'm in awe of. I literally am in awe of their talent. And the category that I'm in, for some reason, women in this country between 55 and 65 <clears throat> are incredibly fast. I mean, ridiculously quick. It doesn't so, seem fair, does it? Like when I, when I was younger, it was like, I'm you know I'm a reasonable runner like I was reasonably fast in my 20s but you know never going to represent the country or anything and um but I was always thinking it's fine I'll just keep running until everyone else stops running and then I'll be the fastest in my age group you know in my 70s and 80s but there are some people who are my kind of age and they are way fast and they don't look like they're slowing down or stopping so (laughs) you know you know you know know what's interesting about running though you choose you've got to choose your distance and and I like to play with distances. So I will do the 10K. No, I'm, I'm not a natural 10K runner. My my PB is 45, 45. Yeah. So I'm not a natural like 42, 43, 44 minute runner on in yeah. 10, 10K. And I and I will come, I will place very highly in, in competitions in certain parts of the country. If yeah. it was going to be a world championship, I'm not gonna call I'm not gonna come top five. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. I mean I'm I'm not gonna cut it in 10k. No, mm-hmm. no chance. There are some really, really fast 10k runners, and I'm yeah. not one of those. But what it helps me in, it it helps me in my marathons and half marathons. So it makes me it makes me sprint that that 10k mm-hmm. to the fastest to the to the best of my ability. But it makes me go I, I'm like a I'm like a, a Duracell bunny. If you wind me up, I'll just go the same speed for a half marathon, and I'll I'll literally just keep on going. I just keep on wow. going, and so it, you choose your distance, don't you? You you really yeah. choose the happy spot, and you know yeah. where you can win. And yeah. and for me, I am awed by the ten k runners I run against, but I don't do that race thinking that I'm going to come at the top. Yeah. So when when you start a race now, apart from the ten k, the ones that you know are your distances. Is that one of your thoughts? I, I want a podium finish here. Is that you know your yeah. one of your drivers at that start line? Yes. Yeah. Always. Always. Wow. Because it's it's tough to race. I mean, it's really hard to race. Yeah. So we all talk about racing, like, oh gosh, isn't that fun? You get to go into mm. a race. And I'm in the starting box, very excited. But I also realize at about the nine mile mark, I am killing myself. You know, yeah. it's, it's not if if I'm running, if I was going out for a jog. Then at nine miles, I'm fine. At 15 miles, I'm fine. I can run without any hesitation distances. When you're racing, it's a different story because you're pushing yourself really, really hard. Yeah, right to the edge. Yeah, Mm. right to the edge, Mm. right to the Mm. edge. And it's not fun. I mean, I don't don't do a half marathon thinking this is really, really fun at 10 miles. I I just, because I'm really pushing hard. It gets really fun at 13 miles when I've got 200 meters left. Yeah. It's not really fun at nine miles yeah. when I've got four miles left. You, know, you, you just, um, when you're pushing hard, it's not fun. Wow. But I really like the sense of achievement. And if I didn't come top three, I wouldn't continue happily. I, 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 I do this because I want to win and I want yeah. to stay fit and I love the challenge. You're that's really driven why. for that. Mm. Yeah, that's why I race. Not why I run, but why I race. Mm. I race to win. Mm. 
It's um, it's something that I've had issues with in the last few years is competing because I get anxious at the start line. And it's not even that I am like, like I'm only racing against my own PB, not against anyone else, really. Um, so it's a it's a funny thing. But I have done a lot of racing in a club where we race every um, every week through winter. So it's like, um, I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's my own therapy. I need to work through that. Why well, I get anxious but, now as I've got older. But, it's weird. But the only way the only way I think you can work through that is to do as much of it as you can. Mm. Because when, I, when I'm racing... I want to race more and more because the more I race, the more confident that I am in a start box. So yeah. before the world championships, I wanted to race. If anything, my England coach, who I absolutely adore, I have a fantastic England coach who I meet on the phone. We have a Zoom call every week and I send yeah. him my training programs and he gives me all sorts of advice. And he was so good about me not over-exercising. Like, you know, you don't oh, overdo it. Don't yeah. get into a box too often. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, if you let me, I would race every weekend, but I can't physically do it. It ruins yeah. your body. You have to kind of monitor what you're doing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, I, and I do think even small runs, and I, I go to a lot of local 10Ks because I can I can sort of sprint 10K. Mm-hmm. I can get a good outing. If I don't win, I don't really care. And, and if I do win, that's fine. But yeah. it's not it, just getting in the box matters alongside yeah. a lot of other people. Yeah, having that race um, race experience, whatever they call it, under you under your belt, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. Oh, I have to. I needed to get back into racing a bit more. <laughs> I know when I did my long, my longest, my fastest marathon. That event was the time when I had trained um, in the gym as well, rather than just running to train mm-hmm. for it. So there was that cross training, and I don't remember any part of that marathon being difficult <laughs> at yeah. all. I'm sure it was, but I blotted that out of my mind. And yeah. um, and then, of course, the elation, at, I think it was a 20-minute PB for me at the time. Um, it, I was like 3.36 and I was like, and, and I was still like in my, I was 45 or something. Yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. <gasps> you know, I think that um, that was a combination of that cross-training um, side as well. And, and then, of course, being so excited that I'd, done better than i had done for a long time um yeah, and i think a lot of you, emphasis though you say cross training and that's really mm, important that's yeah. something that that my coach tells me to do regularly is to mm. cross train to do yoga once a week at mm-hmm. least and you thought daily to do a 10 minute like stretching exercise with with yoga on a, on on um on a on the internet i mean not to go to a class but to literally yeah. make sure you remain flexible to go mm-hmm. to the gym two or three times a week to get your to get your running in in distance. And what I've learned from listening to a lot of um, speakers that are put on to the England um, the England conference calls that we have, mm-hmm. the England webinars, is um, that the distances that they run in training are heavy. Yeah. So even if you're talking to a 10K runner or a 5K runner, a 5K mm-hmm. racer or a 10K racer, they're running often 10, 12 miles a day. Mm-hmm. And you would never expect that. Like I, I would not expect a 10k yeah. racer to run 10 miles a day. Yeah. And that that's that's not a that's not sometimes that's not a heavy running mm. schedule. And I I could not fit that in. I mean I mm. can't. I I run 10k a day and I run probably 20k okay. on a Saturday. You know mm-hmm. I'll run I'll run you know 20 25k if not more on a, on the weekend. Mm-hmm. But. I, I don't have the time to run more than 10K by the time that you leave your office, you run, mm. you have a shower. 
I, yeah. I can do 10K. I can maybe do, I'll do maybe eight miles, maybe nine miles, but I'm not going to yeah. do 10 miles a day. There's just not yeah. a chance. So it's really what you can carve your time out for. But what you notice with these runners that are the proper elite runners is that they truly spend a lot of time running. Mm. I mean, it's not intense short bursts. It's regularly running distance mm-hmm. daily. And yeah. if I could, and if I wanted to be more and more competitive, I would run greater distances daily. Okay. That's interesting. So you did say before mm-hmm. you're also going to the gym. That's part of your Yes. Yeah. Your, I, um, I, have a, I have a gym day at least once a week, if not twice, depending on, okay. like right now I'm going once a week because it's mm-hmm. out of season and I just had my last race last weekend mm-hmm. for the next month. And when I do that, I sprint to the gym, which is a couple of miles. I work out for 45 minutes. I have mm-hmm. a program, and then I sprint back again for a couple of miles. And that's okay. fine. So that, that's yeah. my gym day. Oh, I love um, that. That works for me. Yeah, and you've got your cardio on the way and the cardio on the way back. <laughs> so yeah, that works exactly. well. The way back is more of a jog, and the way there is a flat-out sprint. It's like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so do you have something that you're, you know, the, a goal at the moment? Is there a race coming up that you're training for? Or thinking yeah, I'm about? training for a couple of things, actually. I'm training for um, a, um, the, I'm, t- I'm trying to qualify for the England team in the marathon. Yes. Uh, run, London Marathon in April um, in, the, in, a, in a qualifying race. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got, I qualified for England next year in a half marathon. So I'll see what the race is and where they set that how, race. How fast out of interest, sorry, how fast out of interest do you need to, to qualify in the marathon and the half? Okay. And then in the, the qualifying times are really sort of meaningless because they only take the top three. They select the okay. top three mm-hmm. in the qualifying race. Yeah. And so typically in, um, in 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 a half marathon, the top three will be anywhere. I mean, the slowest will be one forty three, one forty four. Okay. The fastest will be one thirty, one thirty three, one thirty four. Yeah, that kind of it's that kind of range. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, I, anyway, I've qualified for the half marathon for next year for England. Yeah. Um. I will aim to qualify for the ten k for England, and I will qual- and I'll aim to qualify for the marathon for england and that is those are the races that are coming up the 10k is coming up in january the marathon is coming up in april and i'm aiming to go to the world masters indoor track championships in poland in march it's indoor there's a whole other beast right there (laughs) i know well there are a couple of things coming up one of them is um i want to race um in the british master indoor track event in um there's a 3k yeah. uh, track event in february mm-hmm. and um you're, you're selected uh by your region and i'm hoping that i will be selected to race in that 3k but i'm not a 3k runner so yeah. i want to do it and see how i do so i'm going to see whether i can get the get chosen for this 3k and if i do well enough in the 3k um i will try and you know do that elsewhere but when i go to poland i will race in the half marathon and the 8k cross country so there are two two events i want to do when i'm in uh, when i'm in poland i wanted to do relay actually i wanted to do the 100k the 100 meter relay but it, it, it's very hard to train when you're training distance to do the training for the short track and i'm also yeah. not I'm, I'm not sure what i'm built for as i said before i'm, I'm not built for a 10k i'm not sure i'm built 
for a 100 meter dash but um i'd like to give it a i like mixing things yeah up. yeah i like mixing it up so I'll, I'll give it a crack but i but i really i rely on my half marathon that's where i rely that's my sweet spot i love that it it just all sounds very um exciting to me so it's probably why i'm having a podcast talking about running um <laughs> how how do you what does your training looking look like now? You said before it's you're in a bit of a um, you've just had a race. It's a bit of a, a break now, I guess, uh, for the holiday period. I don't know what it's probably not for the holiday period. You probably still would be training, um, regardless. Um, what does a typical training week look like? I think you said five or six days a week. You're trying. You run ten k, and then you go to the weekend, and then you've got a couple of days of um, of gym. Is that any? Is that sort of typical? Yeah, I'll do. I'll do. I'll do five days of a ten k. Um, I'll do, or four, maybe five days. Um, five five days on average of ten k. If I do less than ten k, I feel like I haven't really run very far. Mm-hmm. I get like a three, like a five k run is, yeah. is. I won't. I mean, that's less than I would run the day before a race. You know, that that yeah. is quite a short run. That's a short, short day for me um uh, that i'll do a gym day one day and then when i'm going to when i'm upping the ante and i'm going towards a half marathon in a month say i will start doing um 20 20k 25k runs on the weekend Mm -hmm. um that that's a typical i mean i have a program that i go through with my with my trainer and and i and i'm pretty attentive to my program so you know Mm -hmm. rain or shine whatever's going on um i will do it what i've learned Mm -hmm. What is interesting and that I've learned more and more in speaking to the groups that I'm part of that are in this category of masters of over 35 years old is the women in particular that are over 50 talk regularly about having enough time to recover. Hmm. So the recovery days become really important as you get older. And yeah. I tend to ignore recovery. I, I'm hmm. not sensitive enough to recovery. So I have to really watch myself and make sure that I am much more attentive than I have been. And my body will tell me but I, if anything, I want to go and run, you know, I'll do a marathon and then I want to go and run again on the third day. And in yeah. fact, I shouldn't go right. I, I should give myself four or five days off where yeah. I just walk and take an easy swim mm. and just chill, but do some exercise. I always do exercise, but not like I'll walk for three miles, but not, not like run for five miles. Yeah. Um, and I'm more attentive to that now. But what I hear more and more from women in particular is just that. Give yourself time for recovery. And these are top racers. These are not, mm. these are some very, very sophisticated and experienced mm. runners that will say, give yourself time after you've given yourself a hard run. Mm. Take time off. Yeah. And so I'm listening to that more. Mm. Well, it's good to hear. <laughs> it's good because I think it is important, as you said, for our body, um, the physiology. Like there's a lot of recovery is needed for our muscles and things because running breaks them down and and then yeah. you can build them up again stronger if you give them time yeah. to rest. Mm. Yeah. Um, are you a morning? Do you run in the morning or are you just where you fit it in? Yeah, I'm not a morning person. Um, okay. I'm a, I'm a night owl, definitely. I mean, if That's you why you're talking night, to me at night time right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my happy time is like between 10 p.m. and 1 in the morning is when no oh, one can wow. get me. So I can like read and I can just chill out and that's my time when it's my time. Huh. Um but uh, it might, if I were to get in a perfect day and an ideal day on the weekend, if I'm not mm. working, the perfect time for me to run is 11 o'clock in the morning. I oh will go, I'll, have a, I'll have a very, like I'll have a protein shake in the morning, relax, read the paper, and then go for a run at 10 or 11 in the morning. That's a perfect time for me to run. 
And when I'm racing, I am a happy racer in the morning, uh, starting at nine or starting at 10. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I, during my work days, I always end up running between three and four 30. So it kind of really, it's, you know, I, I can never get out of the office and I can never get even out for lunch. I don't take a lunch break. I just go straight through and then I will, I will get up to my desk at six, at three, I'll run, come back at four 30 and then I'll work again until seven. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting because so many people will say that they, you know, what they run first thing in the morning. Even if they start work at eight, they'll be like, well, I'm up at five or four mm-hmm. so I can do my run in the morning and then get on with their day. So it's really interesting that, that yours is different like that. No. And when I'm, when I'm in Africa, then I get up at five in the morning and run. Because of the but heat. I don't, I don't enjoy it. Yeah, but otherwise yeah. I don't enjoy it. I, I hate running in heat, which is a problem. Yeah. And when I, when I raced in Finland in July, it was sort of 36 degrees or something. It was really oh, wow. hot. It was so thirty. It was thirty-four degrees on race day, and it was oh, that was very, very hot. That is hot. It's hot. And that is hot, hot to run. I think. Yeah, and I, I just I I really struggle when it's hot uh, to run. Um, mm. but but and I love the cold. So so running in this today, even though it was freezing, mm. I'm much happier running in the cold. Mm. But somehow it's the dark in the winter here. It's dark, and I just the idea of getting up and running in the in the dark and the cold, forget it. Like that just would take the entire enjoyment out of my run completely. It, so it sounds like you mostly run like road running or path running or whatever, rather than uh, cross country, which we talked about before we started recording. Do you do do you do any cross country or um, trail running? Yeah, I do mostly trail running. I, oh, I, you I'm do? Sure I, live, mm. I live in the South Downs. I live mm. near the South Downs. And so oh, I am very close to fantastic trails. Mm. And and the joy of England is that you have easements and you can run all over trails, mm. all over back areas, past people's fields, over the, you know. I do, I do love that about England, that right oh. of way. <laughs> the right of way is amazing. So I can go on and on and on. And yeah. I, I have my, my running partner is my Labrador. And she comes with me everywhere, and we just That's run and run and run, and it's absolutely fantastic. So I I cross country run most of the time. Oh, I will yeah. only road run when I'm starting to look at racing on roads, and then I start yeah. to pick up my road running more. Um, and I'll do it, and it, it it's really um it's really important I think to do that road running, but I really prefer to be in nature. And again, it's for me, it's a mind escape. It's not yeah. running for me daily. Is if I was running in the middle of the city every day. I would not nearly enjoy it as much as I do because I'm in the countryside. Yeah. I assume as a result you do or you don't listen to anything. You don't have anything in your ears when you're running? When you're no, I do. I do. You do? I definitely do. What I do you listen to? I have, I have um, gosh, I have all sorts of really um, good music. And yeah. it's mostly, um, it's actually sort of top 40 stuff that I really like. Um um uh, Tom Mish. Um, I mean, just sort of all sorts of weird music. Yeah. But it had a strong beat. You know, whether it's Earth, Wind, yeah. and Fire, or whether it is, um, you know, Rita Ora, or anything that is topical, that is kind of has got a strong dance. Beat, yeah. I really enjoy. Yeah. And then some jazz, and then jazz. And you find that really helps with your well cadence and all sorts of other stuff. But yeah. well, no, I mean I find that if I listen to podcasts, I listen to podcasts quite a lot. When yeah. I, I mean podcasts of all sorts. I mean I listen to Desert Island Discs or interviews with people yeah. that I found mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah, and I get so involved with this one hour of listening that that I slow down. I have yeah. to really make sure I run fast enough. Yeah. Music yeah. makes me run fast, whereas whereas I I don't. 
if I'm listening to someone speaking, I, I'm so enraptured. I just don't run very quickly. I mean, I run, but I'm not. I'm so, I so run quickly. So I stop that. That's interesting. And I guess maybe, um, well, if there is ever another side of your competing, you might decide that you want to or you're able to just run without having to go faster if you don't want to. Like, you, And then you could go back to the podcast to listen to podcasts. Yes. If, if no, exactly. No, exactly. And, and if I, mm. if I, I, I absolutely agree with you. If, if I mm. just was running to enjoy myself and, and like not the, the my times, I, I do a yeah. lot of strides. I do a yeah. lot of heartlets and I, I'm always pushing myself forward and backward, forward and backward. If I didn't have to sort of think about timing, then mm. I, I would I would listen to yeah. you know people. I would listen to audio books, for example. Yeah, which is I used to call it my mobile university, yeah. <laughs> listening yeah. to books and things and podcasts while I was running. Um, you said before that your husband often will go on the bike. Do you, yeah. um, so? Do you try, run with other people apart from often your husband on the bike? Uh, my son, yes. Whenever he's mm-hmm. back from university, my husband, yes. Um, and he he runs from time to time, but he's got quite a sore knee, so he bikes more. Okay. And apart from that, I don't um just my just my running club. I have a running yeah. club that is fantastic on a Tuesday and I run with them and I train with them on a Tuesday, but we do a lot of sprints. And otherwise awesome. I don't run. I, I actually for me running is running is my escape. Yeah. My running is when I actually get away from people when I don't yeah. have to talk. And if I run with somebody, then I talk to them. Yeah. So I would prefer always to run on my own. And the okay. joy of being where I live and it well, the joy of being in England actually is that I feel remarkably safe. And I have I have run for years, decades in yeah. England, and I have never, ever, ever Not felt safe. safe. And, yeah. and I, I I mean when I say run, I mean I will go into the foothills, mm-hmm. I will go into I'll go into places where there is nobody for a full hour to an hour and a half. I don't pass anybody. Yeah. And I never I never ever worry. I never give it a second thought. Whereas if I was in South Africa, I yeah. would be petrified. You know, you yeah. just you you actually yeah. Just here. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's the same in Australia, especially in Tasmania. But um, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, I think in Australia, I don't think, I, I mean, I do have friends who say, aren't you worried about running by yourself? Blah, 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 wherever. I'm like, uh, no. no. <laughs> I, yeah. I think because I initially when I started running, to me, it was a very empowering thing. So it was like, well, come at me if you think like when they would have those conversations with me I'd be like why would anybody take on a runner like they're fit they're healthy they're you know just no (laughs) just I was never that worried about it but still being sensible like if I do have headphones in I only have one in for safety reasons not more for traffic actually you know that you can hear if anything's coming but anyway well I'm glad to hear that you that you can run out there free and and you, you're not worried about things because I think that can take away some of the enjoyment as well when you get stressed about stuff like that. Um, and enjoy, the, and enjoy the natural environment and oh, just beautiful. you know just suck in nature. It's just mm. so it's so rehabilitating to be in nature. What kind of things do you find yourself thinking about when you're running? I know that you you're quite focused, perhaps on as you said your tempo running and your different lake running and things like that do you have other things going on in your mind or is it just yeah, really a always. decompression type of time no I always have things going on in my mm-hmm. mind and it always results I would say in in eight out of ten of my runs I will come back from a run and I'll write down things mm-hmm. that struck me when I was running mm-hmm. I'll yeah. have I'll have revelations I'll have epiphanies and I'll think yeah. gosh 
I missed that, or I must, yeah. I must follow up on that, or maybe we should, maybe we should like do this. It will yeah. always, it free, it really frees. It's almost like it frees your brain. It kind of shakes your brain a little bit and yeah. frees it up. Yeah. And then you, all these ideas spring into your head. And, mm. and I, I remember once speaking to somebody um, after, after um, quite a big event in my life, um, after, um, after uh, the death of my son and, and saying, and she said, you, you should meditate. You should take up meditation. Mm. And I said, but I run, I run every day. I run. And she said, it's not the same. And I said, well, it is for me. It is for me. It frees my mind. You're yeah. like, it's not meditation. She said, meditation is about being still. And I, and I agree with that. I completely understand what she was saying. Yeah. But for me, meditation is about sucking in this beautiful world we live in and seeing the landscape and looking at trees and flowers and blue sky and letting my mind just rule. Mm. And that is, for me, the great benefit of running. It gives me relief. It gives me sucker. It's that. The beauty, I, I have to agree to disagree with your meditation friend only because neuroscience now tells us that uh, what happens with your brain when you're running, especially when you get into those states with your running, um, it looks exactly the same as meditation. The neural pathways that are being created, which is what puts us into that you know, positive state um, mentally, and I don't just mean positive attitudes, but in touch with our subconscious and all that kind of stuff, um, looks exactly the same from a science perspective. They've plugged people in um, neuro, with neuroscience um, and that now, which I, to me was mind-blowing when I first read that neuroscience report. I mean, well, that explains a lot, <laughs> you know, i.e. that you can, I think, we just we think of meditation as this still thing, but actually we need to get beyond some of those descriptions, I think, that that stillness can still exist in mm -hmm. while you're moving and mm -hmm. under or what we call still that's just a word in the English language but that thing that you're looking for when you're meditating and that stillness and quiet and that being and that mindfulness moment can still occur when you're moving mm -hmm. and running is a, is a path to that especially running in nature as you brought in for many reasons there's lots of studies as you I mean what is it um in Japan they have that um forest bathing I think they call it but it's it is basically when we go out, go out into nature and absorb all of the again there's some science around it all of the the whatever vibrations and stuff that happen in forests um and in nature um have those same beneficial effects as meditation so there you go this and, and, I, and I think also that I'm, if I'm feeling particularly stressed by anything, I won't wear music and I'll mm. just mm -hmm. in the complete peace. Yeah. And then I'll listen to my breathing. It's just listening to your breathing as you run. And, and yeah. I find, I find the whole experience is actually very relaxing. Yeah. It's really cathartic. I love it. I really do. I, a lot of people actually have come on the podcast who run home from work and they've talked about, you know, I leave if, they even say my marriage wouldn't have survived so long if I'd got in the car and driven home. Because if I can drive home, I can leave all the stuff from work, you know, stays out there in the run. I deal with it. And then by the time I get home, it's um it's all dealt with in my head or whatever because the run's kind of been able to wash it away. Um, yeah. And then I can just be with my partner or with my family when I get home, which I think is it was a lovely way to put it. Hmm. Yeah. That, that was awesome. Uh, and more reasons for people to run, really. Um, have you have you ever been injured, Susan? So. 
No, I can't remember when I was injured. I'm, I'm, I might have awesome. had, I must have had, um, I've had a couple of hamstring injuries, but that was in rugby training. Um, but I can't remember anything, any time when I was injured in a, in a recent past. <coughs> certainly, excuse me, certainly not uh, racing in the last couple of years. Wow. Um, I've um, not, I, I, I've had a, you know, a couple of niggles, but they've gone away very quickly if I've rested. So I'm yeah. really lucky. And no, no knee problems, no leg problems. I'm very, very lucky with my legs. Yeah. Uh, and I rely on them massively for this. Yeah, it sounds like um, genetically you're you're uh, lucky as well, <laughs> which is great. I love it. Um, that's awesome. Um, so when it comes to your identity, do you call yourself a runner? Yes. When do you think you first called yourself a runner? Um, I think I probably have been a runner since university. Um, yeah. And even now, um, I think that I didn't really become a runner until university, but I've got friends that are old friends that will remember me running always. They'll say, well, you always yeah. ran, you always ran. Yeah. Or even if they introduce me, they'll say, oh, you know, she's a runner or, you know, she did this or whenever she took me running when I was, when yeah. I worked with her at Morgan and, and uh, I knew I had a problem when she left me after 200 meters or something. <laughs> but she'll, they'll, they'll always remember the running part, which is yeah. quite interesting because I wouldn't have, they'll remind me of things that I forgot. Yeah. And, 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 and yet it must be, it must be very much part of my identity for so many of my friends to remember my running right alongside me. Yeah. And what I do. I love that. It's kind of interesting that identity as a reflection of what other people have seen in us as well versus, you know, what we've thought of ourselves as um, and how that how that looks in our life. Um, well, you just they, they remind you of things that you don't remember. Like I remember mm. having a boyfriend early days, like really years ago, like decades ago, and he said, I remember you. I remember you because you used to go out running on the weekend and not come back for three hours. Yeah. And, and those are things that I can't remember, but I just know that I used to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I used to for quite long times. But anyway. It sounds funny. like it's just it's just always really been a part of your life, whether it was supporting other sports or has now become a standalone sport in itself. It's yeah. just always been there, which I think is awesome yeah. and, and supported you. Like it supported your life, not just your other sports. So I think that's fantastic. Um, if you were ever injured, have you thought about, how and that's one of the reasons we start down this vein of, of questioning is how you go from being a runner getting injured and for whatever reason uh, could be not to do with overtraining or anything but just for some reason you get a little injury and you can't run for a little while how you deal with that mentally like what would your outlet be if you couldn't run for a little while I would so struggle with that I, I can mm. tell you that Mm-hmm. It's, a very, it's a very good question because mm-hmm. I've had friends that have um, become very ill that were mm-hmm. runners and couldn't mm-hmm. run. And and one friend in particular uh, said to me that that it was agonizing for him to watch runners because he yeah. could no longer run. Mm-hmm. And I could understand exactly what he meant when he said it. It would be incredibly hard for me to not run. Mm-hmm. I I. I don't think that there is another sport that can replicate it mm. for fitness. And yeah. that, that's the problem for me. I, I like being really fit. I like not being out of breath. I like being, I like knowing I can sprint 10 K. Yeah. I don't like, I, I, 
I, I don't want to feel like I'm losing my fitness. And I mm. think that part and parcel of this this phrase, don't let the old man in. You know, yeah. I'm not prepared to age gracefully. Uh-huh. I'm not here to age gracefully. I, I intend to be 80 years old running marathons. So yeah. I don't intend to be a slow I don't I don't want to slow down. Mm. And I, but you'll also train smart so that you can continue to run you know, yeah. train hard but stay uh injury free yeah exactly mm. but I, I you know if I didn't run to answer your question I would um do much more of other sports that I mm. enjoy the question mm. I mean I, I love horseback riding I I, I, I enjoy biking mm-hmm. uh, I, I I would swim but I don't I, I don't love swimming but I mean I would make myself swim distance but mm-hmm. there's no sport that it, that gives me the same fitness kick uh, mm. that I could get for money mm. so how long do you think you'll run for till I die excellent me too there's no there's no wrong <laughs> whatever, answer whatever that may be whatever, whatever that may that be is. I do yeah. not intend to start yeah. running I do not <gasps> intend to start running absolutely yeah. not yeah me either tick the buzz you get from it and the, the rosy cheeks and the, the feeling of the blood sort of coursing through your veins and the strength in your legs, you just don't want to lose that yeah. that buzz. That feeling is so intense. I don't want to lose that. So a young person, when I say young, they're in their early 30s on the podcast I said the other day, um, the self-efficacy, um, she's an educated young person, uh, the, the self-efficacy, which is a very challenging word to say, that was one of the things that she really... Um, enjoyed that running gave her um i.e that she could if she could run then she could do anything you know and it and it just gave you that physical physicality that you know anything life throws at you you can deal um and yeah i think it's an amazing tool for all of us to have in our toolbox as a result well do you know do you know that an enormous portion this is an interesting statistic an enormous portion and i don't know what the number is of distance runners have PhDs. Like no. are by and large more often distance runners than not. I actually and I thought know that. And then, and then I've, I've had a PhD. few PhDs here on here <laughs> on the podcast. I have actually had a few PhDs. So yeah. <laughs> and, and and they they tend to be just I mean PhDs if they exercise are usually distance runners. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that. And a friend of mine That's who crazy. has a PhD did a study on this. And she did a study on entrepreneur entre- entrepreneurism actually at London Business School. She did a PhD. There. Oh wow! And um, actually, she taught there. As a matter of fact, so she 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 was a professor there. Yeah. But she taught entrepreneurship, and um and one of her focus areas was PhD students, and the fact that so many were distance runners, and that was very interesting to me. Um, and I think it's just the kind of freeing of the mind. It's staying fit when you're sedentary. It's that kind of fitness kick when you are in a research lab or you're yeah. at your desk or you know you're sitting down you want to get intense exercise yeah and push yourself. uh it's, it's a physical pushing and the intellectual pushing it's uh, which i think is yeah. quite well married um but in well, any the, case i wasn't surprised the, the st- well the studies going back to studies again also say that uh exercise and then doing an intellectual activity of like phd or school or whatever uh it makes it better like it's, it clears you yeah I, i'm not very good with all the words but <laughs> with those words for describing the science around it 
But uh, I do know that they they work very well in that they complement each other. So yeah. it's not just the balance from sitting down to standing up, but yeah, there's lots of uh, physiological reasons why you should run if you want to do things that are using your mind because yeah, complement each other. I love it. I have actually thought on the podcast I should have a whole stream where I actually thought about entrepreneurs, like successful entrepreneurs, but yes, PhDs could fit into that, like who run and do a series around, you know, those kind of individuals and find out why they run. Does it support their, you know, obviously very driven lifestyles, a bit like yours, <laughs> very driven sort of lifestyle. Well, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, so I mean, it mm. gets me this entrepreneur kick, mm. this kind of yeah. push, um, to push to do things um on one's own you know you, you you're very happy to, to to do to sort of start a business as a co-founder or a founder but to grow it on your own if necessary and how you do that how you bring people yeah. around you this 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 um this angle is an interesting one i, I think that mm. uh i mean this is why we i went and spoke at lse in this in her lecture actually i mean i spoke about entrepreneurs and my journey through that and um, that's where this whole issue came up Oh, I love that. Oh, I want more information about that. Okay, um, before we wrap up, Susan, because I've kept you a long time, um, where do you think running has improved your life? If you didn't have running in your life, it sounds like a silly question at the end of all of these revelations about how awesome running has been for you. But um, what do you think, if you had to choose one thing, what do you think running's given your life? Challenge. Challenge, challenge yeah. physically, uh-huh. challenge to my mindset, challenge, challenge competitively. Yeah, it, it's offered me a method, a route to challenge myself. Yeah, it's given me um, the chance to challenge myself physically, which I've always enjoyed. Yeah, and the mindset I think is a challenge because racing is about mind control. It's about how you strategically mm-hmm. win a race mm-hmm. and how you endure the toughest parts. And it's a metaphor for life. So the challenge in mindset is a really vital one for me. And the challenge competitively is what I seek. I want competitive challenge. Mm -hmm. So that's what Mm -hmm. it's given me. So you you get to exercise that muscle every time you turn up to the start line, basically, which then reflects itself in other parts of your life, just not just in the running. Yeah. Well, when when I'm training on a day-to-day basis, I get to train for those challenges. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything about running in particular that we haven't covered that you'd like to cover? Well, one thing that I would say to people that are starting running or that maybe are early runners or fun runners, which is fantastic, incidentally, mm-hmm. I think, you know, everyone just chooses their own their own level, and that's brilliant as long as they've got their running shoes on. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have to get into the you have to get into the road to start racing. You've got to you've got to just dip your toe in if you feel like it. But I do think that um, for people that haven't run, and I've said this before to, to women that I know well, I think that the starting point is walk run. You know, yeah. the walk running route is a really important mm-hmm. one and not to be intimidated. So mm-hmm. you do a minute on, a minute off, you know, two minutes off, one minute on, three minutes off, one minute on, and then start to do more minutes on mm-hmm. and try and work up to 20 minutes mm-hmm. and then try the next day 20 minutes. And then before you know it, you're going to want to run. Yeah. And I think that the walk running component, the walk running strategy to start to run is a really important one. Mm. And what I would say to racers, from my own experience, is throw your headphones away. 
If yeah. you race headphones, you run yeah. slower. Yeah. Whenever I check, I I I never race. I never ever race with, yeah. with music ever. <clears throat> yeah. But I can say categorically that I run much faster without music. Mm-hmm. Nothing on your head, you run faster. Mm, that's interesting. What do you, do you know why that is? You have any theories around that? I have no idea, and I yeah. I, I found this through my own weird experience. The, mm-hmm. the the fastest runs that I have done were when I realized I didn't want to have music on my head. Mm. And and what happens with music is you just run to the beat and you think you're yeah. going fast, but you're not. Yeah. I, I just, I know that when I throw my music off, music is great to train with and not every day, but I train with it a lot of the time, not all the time. Yeah. But when I chuck it off, I run much faster. So for people that race, throw your, throw your headphones yeah. Love that. <laughs> all right. Are there any other tips for beginner runners that you'd like apart from the, what you've just shared with us? Um, no, but I think, I think, um, I, I think joining a club is the biggest mm. goal. I, mm-hmm. I think joining a club is really important because you've got good coaches that will put you at the right level and you've got like-minded people. And there's mm. no question that my club pushes me massively. Mm. Uh, I'm in a group that is very competitive. I'm always trying to keep up to them. There are a bunch of guys that are 40 years old or 35 years old that are <sighs> super fast. And it just is a pleasure to have to chase them. I feel like I'm they're the kind of rabbit in front of the greyhound. Well, actually, they're, they're, sorry, they're, they're the greyhound and the rabbit. They are very, very quick. And being with people that are that fast or are just enjoying themselves, depending on what level you're at, yeah. it just makes a huge difference yeah. uh, to be with people that are like-minded. A lot of people who've come on the podcast over the last year or so have actually said, you know, they started running for some reason, maybe a health reason, whatever, Um but they stayed running because of the people they met because they, you know, they joined groups, they found people at park run or they joined a running club, like you said, and that just kept them running. And because they they were with like-minded people who were, you know, on a similar journey, which is really powerful. Hmm. Yeah. Personalizing the story. I mean, frequently when I'm racing, I'll have people come up to me and talk to me for a minute as they're going by and you end up personalizing the number and it's a really interesting event that happens. And it doesn't happen rarely. It happens quite often when someone will come up and say, you know, something about, because um, I've got to wear my number, I've got to wear my age. Whenever I run for England, yeah. I've got to wear my age. And I'll have some person come up to me and say, you know, well done, you're quick or something. And then I'll say, uh, well, good for you. You're running pretty quickly yourself. And then one woman said, well, I just had a baby a year ago and we're puffing away. But wow. say, I just had a baby and... And um, and I'm just trying to get out to do another race as quickly as I can. I'll say, well, good for you. You know, if you if you had your baby eight months ago and you're racing this quickly, then there's got to be something you're doing that's right. But it's personalizing these numbers, and everyone has their own journey, and everyone has their mm-hmm. own story, and it's actually fascinating. It is. It's just a really eclectic group of people that you would not normally liaise with, and then yeah. when you meet them running or before a race, after a race, in a pen, um, in your club. It, they really just love to do this sport and it's really lovely it's a beautiful yeah. great it's a great way to spend time with people it's a way to I guess you all have something in common usually that you love running but you, they come from so many walks of life and as you said um, it always fascinated me especially when I first started running realizing we all just ran the same race but we all had a different experience of that race as well like not only the journey yeah. to get to the start line but of the race and you know, I, I have thought how fascinating it would be to be able to capture a lot of those stories, say, from the same 
race and then put them together as a, a compilation because it, it is fascinating. It's like, wow, and inspiring, very inspiring. Yeah. Mm. And I think having someone, having, you know, I, I really believe that I've got two coaches, uh, one whose name is Matt Long, who's at Loughborough, who's the England coach, my England coach, and then one who is my uh, coach for my running club, whose name is Dan Olway, and they are both so important to me in the way that they have given their time, given their focus, given their support, their training programs. I mean, when someone is backing you, you feel like you've got a sounding board and you feel really well supported. And that, even a small amount of support from a coach is a mass, makes a massive Mm. impact on a runner. Whatever, whatever their level makes a massive impact. Good coaching is so imperative. And some people need that kind of accountability element to it as well, I think, you know, where, where a coach can come into come into it, not to mention or running with friends or whatever that you're meeting, that, that kind of accountability element to it helps, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning because of that consistency that mm-hmm. is required to make it become a habit. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't just happen by two runs. <laughs> you kind of be consistent initially. Mm. Yeah, and you'll run, you'll run better and farther and, frankly, more strongly if you have joined a club and you stay with that club for a couple of months, even a couple mm. of months, you notice a difference. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, Susan, I have really kept you a long time. We must. I think we could keep talking for at least another hour and a half. <laughs> I do need to. I don't, it must be getting late for you in England. It must be like ten or eleven. Oh my now. God, it is. <laughs> no, I'm just this is terrible. I've kept you up too late. Anyway, don't uh, don't go straight away. I will say goodbye to you off the recording, but I do want to express my extreme gratitude for you sharing so much of your story with us. It's been very inspiring for me, and I'm sure it will be for other people. So thank you for sharing so much, so willingly. No, you're most welcome. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. I'd love to talk to you about your running journey. So send me a message on Facebook or on the website and let's do it. For a bunch of resources on mindful running that will help you get and stay mentally and physically fit, head over to the website fitmindfitbody.co and I'll see you there. Plus, I'll be back here in your podcast player a few times a week. Hit subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. And before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review. It'll help more people to find the podcast and get inspired to start running. I'll see you soon. Bye.